Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. So this is Genesis 1. Oh, yeah. 1. 1. On page 1. Page 1. This Unless is... you have like... Uh, wait, is it really page 1? It's really page 1. It's in, not like... In my Bible, it's page oh, 1. Oh, because all the ones that came before it are like or, XXII. Those are called Roman numerals. Roman. Roman. Wow. That seems just nationalistic of you. I'm not Roman. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, David tried to be the comic relief. I did. Failed. It doesn't work. Therefore, in the beginning... <laughs> Here we go. God. In the beginning, God. So the point, yep. we want to see Jesus right. in this passage in of Genesis, scripture, in, yes. in the creation of the entire world. Right. And what do we need to be aware of? I think oh man, when we come to this passage of scripture, yep. most often we don't think about seeing Jesus. We think about who's going to win the battle between creationists <laughs> yes, and, and evolutionists. evolutionists. Yep. So how do we talk about Genesis without talking about creation and evolution? Yeah. And actually... Or should we? Shouldn't we be talking about creation and evolution? I see. Like, well, like I what? think I think we have to talk about what the Bible talks about, okay. right? So, like, what does the author of Genesis care about communicating in these opening two chapters? I think that's if we could figure that out, then we could figure out should we engage in a conversation about the origins of the universe from a scientific standpoint or not? Yes, and so this really comes down to a question about genre. What are we yeah. reading when we read? Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Are we reading history? Are we reading scientific literature? Are we reading narrative? Are we reading poetry? Like, I think that helps also, like, yeah, but at the, yeah, I think, I think it helps. But at the end of the day, a biography could make a scientific comment. Yes. And so, like, obviously, this isn't a science textbook. So I think, like, we could say, like, a lot of people have said, like, part of, like, you know, Genesis 1 might be poetic. And Genesis two might be narratival, or something like that. Like they yeah, switch, yeah. you know, like there's yeah, a yeah. switch and it's retold again. So like the first, the like chapter one is more poetic. Chapter two is more history narrative or something like that. And then it's like, uh, but like we don't know. Like uh, like uh, if I'm reading history and it's about a scientist and his theories, I'm going to learn about science. So like right. I don't know if genre settles the question for me at least. Mm. I think it helps me. Yeah, because growing up in a Christian home. The genre of scripture, the genre I read Genesis 1 and 2 in was, this tells me in fairly precise detail on how the world was made. I see. And when I come to it with that expectation, it's actually hard for me to see anything other than potential fodder to just own right. the a- atheistic evolutionists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think for me, whenever I start r- researching Genesis, like the genre question became really helpful because like, well, what if the main point of the genre of, of this piece of, of text isn't to communicate to me scientifically accurate details about the creation of the universe, right. but actually tell me about a God who is in control of all things. Yes. And so that was actually really helpful for me. Like, like it, this it, is doing more theology than biology. Yes. Yes. That was more helpful for me. And even like, so the Bible is not a myth. Right. But like all societies have all, myths. Have creation myths. Yes. 
even though evolutionists would not call their origin <laughs> right. of humankind it's a creation a myth, theory it's a creation theory but right. it's a myth right. about what it means to be human yep. what the significance of humanity entails yep. and what are the overarching governing forces of this universe yes yeah i would think and i think you could you could cross genre a bit and say like yes. you could probably paint the evolutionary theory as a myth there's this big empty unknown foreign world of primordial earth and, yes. and universe wherever it came from it's like oh that's like a fantasy world like that yeah. i don't i have no connection to and it's like these and the god is called chance chance right yes yeah the god chance does yeah and so it's like right and, 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 and i'm not trying to belittle that standpoint or anything like that or like make light of it it's like but it, it like it's not it's it not commu- a fa- it, it's not a fact that that happened. So it's, it is a myth in a sense. It communicates more than scientific right. details. Oh, and we should probably say, when we say myth, we're not saying lie. Yeah, yeah, We're yeah. saying uh, as a genre, as mythology. A genre, a mythology does more than just tell us funny stories right. about the gods. Yeah. It actually communicates really detailed truths about reality itself. So for example, during when Genesis was written, there was another creation myth yes. during that time called the Enuma Elish. Right. And it's when these two gods... Tiamat and Marduk fought in the primordial existence of the universe. Right. Before the universe was had structure or shape or the earth was made, these two gods existed in constant battle. And when they came together and clashed together, the blood of the defeated god seeded this void earth and from the earth sprouted human beings, yeah. plants, vegetation. And so what you ha- so it's a creation myth. Right. But what does it tell you about reality? Reality is ultimately a battle. Yes. Reality is ultimately not from God, but comes from the gods. Yes. And that human beings are essentially the dust and blood of right. defeated deities. It's a byproduct of something much larger. There's no right. intention in it. The gods aren't sovereign over creation. No, no, and no. human beings aren't given this particular type of dignity. No. Except, Other than the fact that they came from the blood of gods, right? But it's like their shed blood and their dusts, and, and or the like defeated god, like a defeated god, a right? Defeated yeah, god. it's always a lesser. It's always a lesser. Yeah. And then, then, so what kind of morality would that create for the people living in it? Well, the greatest, the greatest moral victory must be victory in battle. Battle, right? So, like, I, so it creates a culture based on that creation myth, right? So when we look at Genesis, I think that's a helpful way for us to it look is. at it. And there's also, and there were like, there's other. Um, there were other like creation myths going on at that time as well, like yeah. and and they always have to do with like the gods doing like immoral activity. Yeah, uh, one was even um, had to do with like um, like the semen of a god. Yeah, uh, like, that's what the rain was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like that's why like fertility was r- right connected to the crops growing, which is why how the earth was created, how the crops grow, and why like sex cults right, yes. in pagan worship were so common yeah. because this was a way to retell their version of the gospel right. story. And so yeah, and, so what and, we have uh, to realize is like uh, this also, Genesis wasn't written at the dawn of time. Yes. Like let's just say that. Right, right, right. It was written later, like in an embedded culture surrounded by all these other like civilizations that believed these other myths. And so what Genesis is doing in its in its new creation narrative is it is showing people a counter myth, right? An yes. alternate version of how the world was really made. And if you take the traditional conservative 
yes. um, evangelical standpoint, which is this was written by Moses. This is one of the five books of Moses called the Torah. Then we know that, or we would believe, I believe, that this was revealed to Moses by God, maybe on Mount Sinai. Yes. And so like God is saying, I know you guys just came out of Egypt. There's all these creation myths. You're about to go into Canaan where there's all these other creation myths. Let me tell you something that will counteract that and will give you an alternative narrative, not so you can go, oh, we know how the world was actually made. Right? right, like day by day by day, but step by step. But let me give you a myth, a worldview is probably the best. A worldview is helpful. Let me give you a worldview that helps you engage with yes. the world you're about to enter. Right. Yes. So I think if you imagine like the origin of the species, the first line of the origin of the species Charles Darwin. is, Charles Darwin yep. is, I will give you a brief sketch, the progress of opinion on the origin of species. That's the first line of the origin okay. of species. So he's like, let me give you a history of yep. what we've thought up to this point. Mm-hmm. If the Bible is re- being rewritten today, I think what the biblical author, this hypothetical biblical author would do is like, he would steal language of that. He's like, let me tell you how the world, the opinions of the world are the origin of the species. And then he would go on and subvert all our expectations about what it means to be human, what it means to live in the world, what the most powerful forces are. And I think that's what Genesis 1 and 2 It's deconstructing other worldviews to show something very particular, that Yahweh, God himself, God himself, is in is sovereignly, intentionally, intimately in control of the world yes. and all creation, and that he has, and then also something about the dignity of man, which we'll get into. Which I think is what it's. Somebody said this in the beginning. God, yeah, is the first phrase in the entire Bible. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, man. In the beginning, processes. In the beginning, chaos. In the beginning, myself. But right. in the beginning, God. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of an incomplete sentence. In the beginning, right. God created. Yeah. But I think it's a helpful like rubric for us to think. Like what we're being introduced to in Genesis 1 and 2 is that in the beginning, God. Right. The main character is God, his action, what he does, what he accomplishes, what he's able to do, and what he decides to do based on his power. Yeah. So what does that tell us right off the bat then about this God, I guess, would be a good thing. He's not this uh, this deity floating around some in some other cosmological space, uh, slaying other deities, and we happen to be a byproduct. There, there's this counter myth. Who is this God then? Like In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hmm. So the first thing we're told is that the creation of our planet, of our universe, of the stars is God's artistry. Yeah. Like what we see in the world is something beautiful and good from God's hand, which is this other theme that goes throughout the Genesis story. It is good. Right. It was good. It was good. It was very good. Yeah. Like first thing we learn about God is that God makes beautiful things. God can create Mm -hmm. and the things that he creates are beautiful. Yeah. That's that's really good. And so it shows an intentionality. It shows that God cares about beauty. Uh, it shows that things that are here aren't accidents, and so it's like, let, it shows that there's a there's some kind of plan in place, right? It doesn't have to yes. be like a capital P plan where it's like, you know, everything's foreordained. I'm not trying to go there. Right. Obviously, I think you can, and I think some of the New Testament authors do that. Right. Um. But like, there's a plan. Like, there, this this Earth has a shape, and it fits in a solar system. There's there's an a cosmological architecture happening. Yeah, and you even see that in the text. So in the text, God creates like these voids. So it begins with the sense like the earth is formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. And then what God does is he creates these voids 
from the void. He creates the sky, he creates the heavens, Mm -hmm. he creates the oceans, he creates the land, and then he fills the voids with stars and fish and birds and people. So he's like the God who takes voids, who creates space, and then fills those spaces. Like there's no part of creation of the universe that's outside of God's control. Both the void and what fills the void are his. Okay, so we should talk about the days of creation now because we talked about how I think like when we grew up reading this for us, it was like, oh, I know how step-by-step how the world was made, you know, booyah. Yeah. And so um, I think one thing that we could immediately notice, which is what you already talked about, which is in the first half, days one to three, or is it days one to two, I think, you have God making voids, making spaces, and then on the rest of the days, uh, three to six, he fills them. Yes. Right. So he makes the he makes the sky and then he puts planets and stars in it. Yes. You know, he makes the waters and then he fills it with fish. He makes the land and he puts vegetables and animals and man on it. Yes. So um and although man but man is also like a separate, separate thing. Category, right, right, right. But yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um and then and like why is that important? Why would you go day by day by day? I think there's two things that we have okay. the, the the text forces us to notice. Okay. First has to do with Sabbath order, like like right, right, why right. why six days? So there could be a seventh, okay, which is very important. We'll talk about Sabbath, but to go back to what we talked about earlier is that this is saying something very specific of why Yahweh's creation is different than everyone else's view of creation. Yes, it's that they had little sub gods over everything that you know the waters had a god and the sun had a god and the polytheism of it all just and and god is saying no i made the world and i filled the world yes i am over the sky and the sea i'm over land and the stars like i'm i'm all and like this is a little bit more technical but like god physically creates matter yeah so like he's like so ex nihilo. Yep, is, which is out of nothing. Latin out of nothing. For, out but of like, nothing. so in the Numa Elish, the only way that humans are created is from the, from the matter of gods. From the matter of gods that have already been created. Right. But God himself creates the thing from which we are created from. Which is totally foreign to like, the um, ancient mind. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So it, this is like category blowing. Wait, there is a God who creates the gods? Right. That's like, yes, right. that's... That's really good. Yeah, that, yeah. That's really good. Yeah. And he, and he doesn't lose anything in himself to do so. There's no inner battle within God. He doesn't have to slaughter some other thing to make it. He just does it out of so like what are we learning about the nature of God? He is way more powerful than the gods that we know about. Right. Right. That's exactly right. And he's even more powerful. I said like this is a concept completely foreign to the ancient mind. This is a concept completely foreign to the the modern mind that something can come from nothing breaks all our scientific categories. Right. Right. Which is like that's starting to tiptoe into the evolution creation debate. But at the end of the day, the Bible doesn't let us get away from in the beginning, there was nothing, nothing but God, and so like then it can spiral into other theories, and that, right. that's, but that's not what we're my concerned current, about right now. My current favorite scientific theory, oh no, is that nothing actually has things in it. What? So like, like <laughs> there's a book out there. So like, why is there something rather than nothing? So these philosophers and scientists debating it. Yeah, and like there are theories about there about what well, what does it mean for there to be nothing? Mm. Like our conception of nothing is blankness, but right. what if our conception of nothing actually has things in it right it's and like the, theor- theoretical math mathematics yes they talk about the concept of zero containing no numerical worth but having value and like having a concept right yeah but 
so the point we're making oh right <laughs> is that <laughs> the point we're making is like the idea that there was nothing and then there was something is difficult conceptually for humans from ancient and modern yes to affirm or to understand and that's the point and that's the point is that yahweh breaks our categories yes like the god who makes the world should break all our categories and like great that's that's a good place to start so I think that's one thing to point out about the days of creation. Um, other than the Sabbath, is there anything else that you were like, oh, I really loved this as I was studying? I think maybe, so the order of creation yep. is different in Genesis 1 and then Genesis 2. We should talk about that. And why? Oh, yeah, right. Well, we, so talked, like, we kind yeah. of, we answered it already, is uh, he's telling parallel accounts, right, of uh, the author, I should say, is telling yeah. parallel accounts of the same event using two different genres to talk about it. Okay. And so the first is more poetic, right? And the yeah, second yeah. is more like, so there was this garden, and then this is what God did in it, and then he found I've man. I've always read them the other way around. Oh, okay. Like, the, the first one's like the narrative. Like, here's what happened. Here's, oh, here's what God did. Right. And the second one zooms in I on see. this individual and the creation of his wife, and there's actually poetry in it. Right. Bone of my bones, flesh, flesh of my, my flesh. flesh. Like, there's right. like a song sung right. in it. So what you're saying is what we need to understand is Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are not meant to to show us a literal sequence of events. Right. Because if you look at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, they're actually a different, different sequence. sequence of events. Right. It's not it's not con- he's not concerned with sequence. What he's concerned about is God. Right. And us understanding who God is and who we are apart, in relationship right. to him apart from these other cultural myths right. and creation myths. Right. Uh, and so he, he's not so much concerned that you just put your stake in the ground that God separated the vault of the sky from the sea before he made seed-bearing plants. Like, that's right. not what he's concerned about. He's concerned that you know that the same God did it all. Yes. That's his concern. Yes. Um, and then when we zoom in, it, it we kind of get this more intimate, like, version of, of this you, you get to import all this amazing stuff you learned about Yahweh, that he's in control of everything, that he creates something out of nothing, that before everything was, he is. And, and then, then he, he zooms in and breathes on dust and makes man. It's like, what? Like, yes. that breaks all our categories. Yeah, and again, for both ancient and modern minds, what are humans? Yeah. Humans are the blood of a, of a dead God. Right. Or, or we are the product of millions of mutations over time. Right. So what does the Bible do that's unique to both ancient and modern worlds mm-hmm. views? It gives us a dignity yes. that and no, an intentionality. An intentionality. That, it's that, like either by by divine chance or cosmic chance we were made. Yes. From every other worldview. And it's like yes. only the Bible comes and subverts that and says you were made intentionally, not by chance. Right. Yeah. And we all have an an intuition that that's the case. Like yes. the current like the reason for social justice and yes. civil rights yeah. movement and the equal and equal rights, like that is based on the idea of that we are assume dignity. Assume dignity. That that worldview of assumed dignity only comes from scripture. Right. It doesn't come from naturalism. It doesn't come from ancient texts. It doesn't come from paganism. It comes from Christianity. Right. Okay, so I've talked a lot about wanting to talk about the Sabbath, and now let's do it. Because yes, Sabbath. Tell us about the Sabbath. Well, it's an idea. It's the seventh day. It's the seventh day. So God creates for six days, and then on the seventh day, it says he rests from his work. Uh, we know that this does not mean that God naps um, or that God stopped doing things, uh, because we know from the New Testament 
that he upholds the world by the word of his power. Yes. So Jesus even says, like, my father's still working. Yes. God's always working. So who am I? Uh, and so uh, even on the Sabbath. <laughs> even on the Sabbath. <laughs> and, and, but what it means is that he's like, okay, creation is done. Like, yes. the work is finished. The active work of achieving creation, right, is done. So I'm, I finished that. It's finished. It's a completed project. Right. And so, um, and then he rests. And then we know through the rest of the Old Testament that he invites people into his rest. So he, he, he builds that seventh day rest into the fabric of his special Israel community. Um, right. And, and says, every seventh day, you're going to rest. You're not going to do any work. And then every seventh month, there's going to be festivals. Every seventh year, there's going to be crazy amounts of rest that take place for the slaves and the oppressed and the land. Right. Every seven every, times seventh yeah. year is the year of Jubilee, and everything's going to rest, and like debts are going to be forgiven. Like you're, and the point of all this? The point of all this is trust in this Yahweh, is that like he's the one who creates something out of nothing. So no matter how much you toil, God could always provide more than you could ever achieve. Yes. He's like, the one who brings fruitfulness to your land. Right. He and what's crazy is think about that. So we talked about Baal, the worship of Baal and all the sex stuff and all yeah, that yeah, goes yeah. on there. And that's how you encourage fertility right. is through all these acts yes. of uh, devotion and ritual. Right. And and God's like, no, just celebrate. just rest, just, just party. celebrate, party. Like yeah. I've I've got it. Yeah. I've got it handled. Your land will be prosperous, not based on your effort, but on my ability. Right. So that what the Sabbath is all about is saying like God provides, so we don't have to. It's like trusting Him. It's faith. Yeah, Sabbath is an exercise in faith, um, which is really great. I think like a lot of times, sab- the, the idea of Sabbath gets co-opted by like the psychology of rest, where it's like, well, rest is good for you, and it is, yes, but that's yes, not yes, its yes, main yes, yes. point because God didn't need rest, right? The like, Sabbath is a weekly reminder yes. that you're not God. Yes, God is, yeah. and the more you remember that, the more. <laughs> worshipful yeah. and God honoring your life becomes. Right. And yeah, you'll you'll rest is good for you and you should have rhythms of rest. But like your psychological well being isn't the end of the Sabbath. It's worship and faith in God's provision. So I think that's just really important to point out. Okay. So that's kind of a little overview of the Sabbath. Right. And, and yeah. so like so like Sabbath is what God did at the end of his creation. Right. But at the end of his days of creation. Oh yes. Something else cr- happens. He creates Men, he creates people, people, yeah, men Adam. and women, Adam, right. people. And he says, so God created man in His own image, in the image of God, He created a male and female. He created them. Yeah. It's the last piece. Little, little poetry line. Little poetry line. I don't know why that's poetry. Oh, it's, well, it's the same reason why you said bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Oh, it's, it's same. It's, it's same thing. A, it's a poem. It's a Trust poem. us. And then it's Hebrew poetry. And then he parallelism. Take, and then <laughs> the poet words. <laughs> <laughs> The poet words. The poet words. They're here. Yep. God's pinnacle of his creation is mankind. And then he gives them a law. A law. He gives them a rule to follow. Which... A thing to do. Which us uppity theologians call the creation mandate. Yes. Right. And it's this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves. I love that God's response to creating a world, a good world, we're told over and over again as good, is to his... to his this married couple is just have a lot of sex and like it really enjoy, enjoy the land the land that I've given you God's command <laughs> is enjoy your wife enjoy the land rule it well right and it's rest like, in my provision it's like it's not it doesn't feel like a command right yes but it's like that is like the end of man is to enjoy God 
yes. and like what he gives us. Like, and so the the you what you don't see here is like uh, the end of man is toil and work and make and it's mm. it's more enjoy and rest and trust. Yes, and like what's the end of that? What does that produce? It produces worship and like faith. And, and so um, it's the Westminster Shorter Catechism, right? That begins, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah. Right. And then John Piper altered it a little bit when he said, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And you kind of get that sense You get here. that sense it's here. Like, it's yeah. like, you can't have sex without enjoying it. <laughs> like, you can't eat fruit without enjoying it. Right. You can't exercise authority without enjoying right. the power, the power that, that, that yeah. offers. Like those things are good gifts yes. God has given to his people. Right. And the command is enjoy them. Right. So like so to recap, the, the creation mandate is to be fruitful, multiply, so that we might fill the earth. Yes. What's the point of that? Right? Because God has said, um, I've made you in my image, now fill the earth. So I think what that means is so we, we're given four rivers. Oh, yes. And so, like, I think... It, it, for the boundaries of Eden. For the boundaries right, of Eden. Right, yeah. And so I think the Garden of Eden yep. was bounded by those four rivers. Yes. And Adam and Eve was were tasked with, take the Garden of Eden beyond here. Right. Fill, Fill the, the earth. earth with a garden. Right. Cultivate it. Work, right. but in such a way that it's enjoyable. Like, wait, wait. And he says, he says, Fill the, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Yes. So he's like, make more of my images around the world. Right, so God wanted His image to cover the face of the earth. That's what yes. He wanted. He was like, your, so like when a when an emperor from that time, like a king from that time, would come and take over a land, he would put his statue all over that land. Yeah. So that if you were at the outskirts and you crossed his boundary, you would see his statue and you would know that's that king's land. That's the border because his image is there. And so right. the whole point of the earth is for God to fill it. He's like, right. I want my image everywhere because it's the best thing ever. And I've made you in my image so that you might fill it. So it's like yeah. God's original intent for the universe was that his image through his perfect image bearers might fill the world with his glory and That just totally beauty. revolutionized my thought of space travel. Oh my, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, so like what are we doing when we're trying to go to Mars? Oh my gosh. I get what you're saying now. <laughs> we're putting our image the image of God. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought like from a self, from a from sinful, a, from a, a sinful, sinful point. But no, but like right. there is something draw, like we're made to obey the image of God. Oh, absolutely. Obey the creation mandate. Right. And we, we break it. it and subvert it. But like yes. there's something in us that's saying like, I want to put my image there. Why do we climb the highest mountains? Right. Because I, I want to, I want to put the image there. Why do we, why are we going to Mars? Right. It's because there's something in us. There's that a says, creation mandate. In there's us. a creation mandate that says the glory of God will touch every part of this wow. universe. Wow. That's cool. That's really cool. That cool. I like that. So that's the be fruitful, multiply part, and then have dominion, right, over over this over this world. So dominion the, feels almost it does strange here, but I think there's another behind the scenes idea operating. Okay, that will help us. Great, called the divine council. Oh, here we go. Oh no. <laughs> oh boy. Like, so one thing. So why a garden? Why is the image that God chose? To place a garden, and then also another thing we should. Why is like this garden also a mountain? Right. So if you read your Bible, this Garden of Eden will is also be, later called a mountain. Uh, the Mount of the Lord, the Mount, Mount, of the Lord. Zion, Mount Zion, like Mount, yeah. like like the Mount God's of, holy temple is on the mountain. Right. And it's always refer, referring back to Eden. So why is that? Yeah. And so I think the reason yep. that is the case is because in, in ancient, this ancient Near East culture, 
the place where God met, the gods met their people yep. were often on the mountains. Or in gardens. Or in gardens. Even if you go to Buddhist yep. countries today, all their temples are on the highest points they can find that's because right. that's where the gods meet them. Yep. And so what we also have here is this space where God and humans are meant to interact with one another. Like God has created the world to be his temple. Yeah. That's what's happening right here. So why is that significant for our understanding of Genesis and also the entirety of the Bible? Oh, man. Well, there's a couple things then, that, a couple threads we're pulling. One is like you've hinted at here is that Eden was God's temple. Yes. That like it even says that God, like we'll get to it in chapter three, but we see that God walks through this garden in the cool of the day. Yeah. It's like God's there. Like God's talking to his people. He's, he's working with Adam to name the animals. Like he's there. Yeah. And so this is his temple. Humans are part of his like inner circle in right. which he is, yep. glory is going right. out. So his yeah. image is not only in people, it's also in a place. And he wants that people in that place to cover the world. Yeah. So he wants his image to go out to cover the world. He wants his temple to go out and cover the world. So that's one idea. But then you also talked about the divine council. So, yeah. which we haven't unpacked yet. So at the, it, it, he, there's this self-referentialness that, that God uses, the self-reference that God uses. And he's like, let us make man in our image. Now, and a lot of people want to run to uh, a yeah, trini- run, run, want to run to a Trinitarian understanding of that. They're like, oh, see, there's a proof for the Trinity. And I would love for that to be the case. But the argument's not very convincing. Uh, yeah. And so it's it's not, he's not talking to the Son and Holy Spirit when he says us. He's talking to what the rest of the Old Testament constantly talks about, which is the divine council, which are, so the, the Hebrew word for God is Elohim. Elohim. Yeah. There's other Elohim. There's other, and we know this. If I just said there's there's other angels, you'd be like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. No worries. Yeah, cool, I get cool. it. Yeah. But it's like, there's other lowercase g gods, which is yes. also hard for us to understand, but it's just, we're not used to using the word God plural in a real sense. Right. And so I think for us, it's like angels, yep. even human beings are called sons of Elohim, Elohim. Sons, of sons Elohim, of Elohim, sons of God. Yep. And so I think the idea we're supposed to have of this garden is this is where God sits and judges and rules and reigns over the earth. In a similar way to earthly kings who have their court or their magistrate who do things in the world, right. who act as representative to yeah, this country you go or be my this ambassador region, over there. God comes with his host of angels yep. and then invites human beings to sit at the council table with him yes. and help him rule the right. world. So that's why this is our big circle to close. Yeah. That's why when we read the word dominion, that's what's yes. happening, is God is inviting us into his divine council to rule part of his creation with him. What, like So this completely subverts the reason why some people want to talk about dominion. It's like, oh, the earth is ours. God gave it to us. Let's strip it of its resources and use right. it for... Like, no. Like, we are to be co-regents with God yes. in stewarding and caring for and loving this and world. creating a garden yes. in the world. Yes. Yes. And so when we see the word have dominion, this is like a kind king ruling and like we're ambassadors of God going out and trying to make the world like this like this Eden that he made. Yes. So that's the what's what dominion means. It's there a caring is and a cultivating. So much in Genesis. So one much one. Like yeah. we said it earlier like like there is a literal universe oh, in yeah. Genesis like yeah. being described our literal universe yes. but like there's this figurative imaginative universe. Yes. That you can just get lost in. Right. For so long. Right. And like we mean that by like there's a worldview that we can you can inhabit uh, uh, an anthropology. Yes, where uh, men come from, who are who are people. Oh, like my whole universe of the dignity of humans a comes from this place. Sociology, a politics. Yes, like there's all of this <laughs> happening um, uh, in this figurative world that 
that God is making in this literal one that we're hearing described being brought from nothing. Yes. So it's really amazing everything that, that's happened there. So that's a lot to talk about, um, but we need to do our favorite thing and get to Jesus in all of this. And there's a lot of ways to see it, so let's do that. Okay, so let's see Jesus in, in yeah. Genesis 1. We, we have to be selective because there's just way too we've been selective in what we've brought up right so we're going to try to close the loops on all five things on all five things that we've brought up so uh the first thing we looked at was that in the beginning god created and in john one yeah in the beginning (laughs) was the word and And the the word word was was with god God. and the word was god yes so who made the world john says it was jesus john says it was jesus (laughs) which is crazy now that might be confusing right we're not saying that um, the physical embodied Christ that walked in Judea and Galilee, like war- had that physical body and was up in heaven making like, stuff with his fingers, like right things. We're saying that, like, th- in some way, you have to understand the Trinity: that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, and the one given credit from the New Testament authors, both in in John, in Colossians one, in Hebrews one is Jesus. Jesus, the the son of God, yes. is the one who makes everything. So if it's like God is the architect, yep. Jesus is in one sense the um the contractor, contractor the one who builds And the it Holy all. Spirit hovering over the face of the waters is, is the, the builder. foreman. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like, right. it's yeah. like there's this like the, I don't know if that's helpful but yeah. like that's right. what's happening. Like yes. God said, let there be light. Yep. Jesus, the word made flesh was there with him and builds these things with the agency of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy oh. Spirit's like hovering and working and separating and yeah. moving. Yeah. So it's a Trinitarian work, uh, but the one that is preeminently named all throughout, especially in, in the New Testament, is Sorry. the is the Son of God. He upholds the world right. by the word of his power. Right. So what does this tell us about the gospel then, about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? It tells us that in the same way that Jesus once made the world, yeah. he will remake it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, right. He, he is the one who will restore creation to its original yes. glory. Right. Do you want the world to be beautiful again? Do you mm. want the oceans to be free of plastic? Yeah. Like the Lord Jesus Christ will do that. Right. And he is working in us to, to accomplish it now, now. And we'll make it perfect when he comes again. Yes. Yes. Amazing. I love that. And like we can look at the creation account and rejoice in the faith of knowing that like he's capable because he made something from nothing. Yes. Like, and then uh, it also just makes me just baffled at the incarnation, at oh, his yeah, humiliation yeah. and at his crucifixion. That it's like the God who made everything, the God who made trees. Right, right, right knew he was going to die on one. Yeah. Like that just blows my mind that he would be like, I'm going to make a tree. And one day it's sapling. Great, 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 great grandchild is going to be turned into a cross that I carry and die on. That's just too much to think about. Um, And like the humiliation, the the degrees of difference between in the beginning, God created and my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? are yeah. too wide of a chasm for me to even yeah. get my head around. And that's why like the, the like, Christ hymn from Philippians 2 is so powerful. It's like he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, yeah. taking on the very nature of a servant. Yeah. yeah. Like if creation ex nihilo uh-huh. blows our categories, yeah. something came from nothing. Yeah. 
for s- the truest something to become nothing blows all of our categories. Oh, goodness gracious. In like a, in a totally new way, right? Yeah. yeah. It just makes me rejoice. It makes me so, I mean, thankful just falls on like, just falls so short that this it's worship. God. Yeah, that it's worship. moment where you have no words left. It's worship. That's worship. Yeah. So thank you, God, right now for making everything and then dying in and dying for everything. In order to remake, remake everything. everything. Yeah. Oh, he's so good. Okay. Oh, anyway, that's really good. I'm worshiping. Uh, so then we talked about the creation mandate. Yes. Right? So uh, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion. Yes. Uh, Jesus see, like comes and he picks up on this language, right? Because all throughout the different covenants of the Old Testament, one is constantly repeated, well, which is be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Right. Be fruitful and multiply. But actually, before we can talk about that one, we should talk about Jesus being made in the image of God. Oh, I mean, yeah. If we want we to can go, do yeah. it in either order, sure. but like Jesus, so like humans are made in God's image and we're told that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Right. So there's a sense that we are in God's imagers. That oh, his, right. His like his representatives his in the world. His little statues. His little statues representing yep. the borders of his kingdom. But we've done it in such a way that's messed up. We right. actually don't image, image the kin- kingdom right. the way that we're supposed to. And so Jesus comes as the perfect representative of who God is, the exact imprint of his nature, right. representing God perfectly to the world. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, scripture says, right? Yes. And then we're we're shown how he is the perfect representation of God by dying and then rising from the dead. And then one of his last words is to take this to re-give us the command, the command, the cultural mandate, the cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply right. to his disciples after being renewed as an image bearer himself and renewing his disciples as image bearers. Right. And he tells them, right. Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth. We're getting all that creation language back. Like yeah. who made heaven and earth? God did. Yeah. God did. Jesus did. How? By his, by his authority, because he's, yes. has, he's all powerful. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So cover the earth, fill the world and subdue it. All nations. He's bringing in that all the world again. Uh, and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. That goes back to the cultural mandate. Like, just obey these commands and live with me. Enjoy. Like, so he's recapping all of Genesis 1 and 2 in the Great Commission. And what I love is he bookends it with all authority has been given oh, to me. right, yes. And then go and do all these things. Yep. Uh, and I will be I with will be you. with you. And so I think yeah. I don't hear that command as a great of a joy as I hear be fruitful and multiply. Oh, oh, ow. <laughs> don't, like, don't do it. It's like being really convicted as oh. we've been talking about. It. It's like, man, I really want to have sex with my wife. Right. I really want to have eat great food. I want to create a world. I want to have authority. Like, this yep. sounds great. I would love to be in this creation world. Now go share your faith. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. But that's if I have to. <laughs> but like, if God has recreated humanity in Jesus, if he's, I am a new creation. Yeah. In him isn't the making of disciples this joy-filled oh experience of actually eating the thing that God created? Yeah. Like, shouldn't it feel like the sweetness after taking a bite of fruit? Like, right. that's that's the the imaginative universe right. that's being set up for us yes. in the Great Commission. Like, the expansion of God's kingdom throughout the world should feel like the necess- the the rejoiced-in end of the fruit that we're eating. Right. Right? Like, yeah, it's amazing. Taste and see right. that the Lord is good through teaching, evangelism, wow. proclaiming the It's gospel. really good. And, and, and so what we see in that is that what was commanded of man in the beginning that we broke and didn't do 
We, we sent his broken image all around the world. Now Jesus is remaking the world by sending new ambassadors. Second Corinthians 5, 4 calls us that. Yeah. We're new ambassadors of, of Jesus' image to go and fill the whole world. Ministers and of reconciliation. Ministers of reconciliation, yeah. yeah. Ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation, begging the world, be reconciled to God. It's yeah. like we are going the, and fixing the curse, like which we'll talk about next time. I think we just did it. That What's that moment that feels like eating fruit? Mm. It's when you are looking at Jesus in the Bible and yeah. you're like, I have no other words. We just did it. Oh, we did. We just did right. it. Like, what is that necessary end? Communicating the beauty of the gospel to people other than yourself. Yeah. And like- we, I know what it's like to imbibe it like on my own. Right. And like enjoy the, the sweetness of Jesus and what he's done on my own. But like- uh, it's like it's like someone said, like a uh, uh, sharing a bottle of wine is better than having it all to yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I just think, I mean, like even that, like I think this idea, like I want to keep pushing on this because yeah, I think it's this really good. because I think one of the things that's been kind of transformative in even my own evangelism with yeah. other people, not that I'm great at it, but it's just sharing how Jesus has been good to me. Yeah, with people that don't believe in Jesus, isn't necessarily like the most surefire way to get a conversion card filled, <laughs> but it's like. It feels more true to the creation mandate. Yeah. When I sit across from my from my my gay friend and say, "Man, here's how the Lord really convicted me of my sin with my wife and showed me how He was better." Right. Like that just feels. Yeah. One less artificial. Yes. Like let me share you with you the Romans road. Right. But two, it feels like I'm tasting something beautiful. Right. And offering a wine for my friend to enjoy. It's with like, me. oh my gosh, have you tasted this? Try this. It's right. so good. Oh, uh, no, I'm okay. Yeah. Like that's like that you know, or it's like, oh yeah, that does look good. Let me try. Yeah, that's that's very different. The very different view of evangelism than I think about. Yeah. All right, we got to move on. We got to yeah. move on. Uh, so we uh, we've talked about the Great Commission. We've talked about Jesus as the image of God. We've talked about how Jesus made the world. Uh, we've also talked. We've also kind of talked about the whole idea of the um, cosmic temple, right? How the whole point of creation was for God's image and presence to fill the world. Yes. So we said that Jesus is going to come back and remake everything. Yes. And like in in Revelation. Uh, we see him at the end of Revelation coming and filling the whole world with his glory. Uh, yeah. Habakkuk says, uh, prophesies that the world will be filled with the glory of God as waters cover the sea. Right. Which is like, wait, how does how do waters cover? The, they're the same thing, and it's yeah. like exactly like it will be wherever you go, the fabric of the world will be the glory of Jesus. Like so yeah. much so that it fills it with light. So much so that um, Revelation says we don't even need lamps or moon right. anymore because Jesus is our light. What is a temple? It's where God and humans interact with one another. It's where they can be together. It's where they can be together, communicate with one another. Yeah. And another way to say the word image is idol. Yep. It's, they're they're yes. synonymous terms. Yes. And as God's image, you are also his idol in one sense, a representative of the God right. you are Not imaging. that he worships you. Not that he yeah, worships right. you, but like as you go throughout the world that yes. does not yet know Jesus you as an idol are bring, stretching the tent of God's temple to That's where right. you are yeah. and bringing that people group, that person, that right. individual to communicate with the God that you're imaging. Right. And we should probably talk about here that like this all nations, this whole earth um, mandate, you know, it cuts across all kinds of party lines and race lines and culture lines, nationalities that um, as people who live in the kingdom of God, who have one king, you know, yeah, serve yeah. one allegiance. Uh, we do not and cannot look at race, country boundaries, you know, borders right. the same way that the world does. No. Because we are called to all nations to see them with the same dignity we have 
yes. as made in the image of God and to bring to them the sweet wine of the cultural mandate that Jesus yes. has given us. And in this, yep. going back to this divine council, we will experience opposition. Right, that's so right. This is where, And so when we, all authority has been given to Jesus, therefore go in his authority, like what is one of the consistent theme Paul picks up in his letters? You have dominion over the principalities and powers. The the battle you're fighting right. isn't against flesh and blood. Right. It's not about national boundary lines. Mm-mm. It's not about ethnicity. It's about the spiritual forces of this world. And so there once was a time when we were in the garden in God's divine council, sitting at his in his council chambers around his round table. Yep. We lost that. Mm-hmm. In Christ, we get it back. And we are actually pushing back the darkness with yeah. an authority that comes from sitting at that table. Right. So like- we, <laughs> we, we, We're we in occupied territory now. Yes. Right. We're in enemy-occupied territory, but we have weapons that always win. Yes. But we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting um, any idea that would set itself up against Jesus as the Messiah. Paul talks about that. Yeah. We lop that off and we fight against spiritual evil. Yes. Right, which we'll talk about next time when we talk about the fall and yeah. Satan, the tempter, everything like that. Okay, uh, the last thing is Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest. Hebrews like nails this. It just talks about it so well. Um, it talks about that a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. So have faith in Jesus and don't stop trusting him because a rest remains. And it says that those who, who, who have faith in Jesus can rest from their work. And like, that's the whole point of the gospel is that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He is the one who brings something out of nothing, right? Because we had no righteousness, no merit, no goodness. We had no right to be back in God's temple. And yet Jesus created something out of nothing through the merits of his death, burial, and resurrection and gives that to us, yeah. you know, salvation ex nihilo, yeah. right? And, and, yeah, yeah. and gives that to us. And you he can... says, rest in that. Yes, salvation yes but also just tie it even more directly to like physical things that the world creates like we are exhausted from our efforts to make this world meaningful to us right to make it like to create a a functioning family right to like to survive college like we are always working to create a world for ourselves right and it's exhausting yeah it's exhausting and when jesus comes he said let me help you. Mm. Let me take that with you. Trust in the fact that I created all things already and everything that you have right now is a byproduct of mine. Right. And when you fall asleep on Saturday morning or take a nap on Saturday afternoon, yep. I will continue the work that you've already begun. Mm-hmm. The imaging work of extending the boundaries of the garden through intellectual endeavor, family relationships, just whatever, I will do while you're sleeping. Right. And like, and we can pick up on, Jesus picks up on this idea in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about like worrying about what you're going to eat and what you're yeah. going to wear, right? He's like, man, God provides for the sparrow and for grass. You yeah. know, he's a provider. So chill out, rest, I always trust. get tripped up on that one because it sounds kind of prosperity gospel-y, but like that's a real promise. Like, do you believe in Jesus? He will provide food for you. Yeah. Are you poor? Like Jesus will make sure you eat tomorrow. Right. Like, not, and not on your own merits. Yeah. On his. That's the difference of the prosperity gospel. Yeah. It's like, it's not like, well, insofar as you believe. Right. It's like, no, he'll, like, he, it's his merit. He did. The, the, the voided universe did not believe in God and then it was made. Like, it, it had nothing to offer. Man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there is a literal and figurative universe in this passage. Yeah. And it's all about Jesus. Yeah. Jesus fills all of it.
Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.